Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Galactica Actually. I am Jamie Smith and joining me is my co-host. A. Diallo Jackson. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. So today we will be talking about season two, episode 20, Lay Down Your Burdens, part two. And if you forgot about anything that happened in this show in general, you had this extra long previously on to catch you up. <laughs> it was a lot. It was like so much they just went right to the opening credits or whatever. Yeah. In this one, they didn't even have a opening gambit. Yeah. Yeah. So um, do you have any thoughts about this episode before we get into it? Um, Not really. I mean, there's some stuff I probably touch on when we get to the little pieces here and there. But overall, like, I don't know. It is, I mean, it is what it is. So lay down your burdens part two. <laughs> that doesn't sound very enthusiastic, but we will move forward. <laughs> No, I mean, no, I loved it. What are you talking about? Like, okay. it, was, it was a game changer. It was like, yeah, I remember my mind just being blown and what's going on. And, and yeah. it gave us, gave us stuff to talk about for months on end. Oh, so much speculation. Three. Yeah. Yeah. So after this previously on, we start where we ended in the last episode with the rescue party under attack on Caprica. They retreat they fall back um we don't see initially where they go uh but later we see that they're in this like bombed out fort or something there's like some walls but they they take cover and then we zoom over to the galactica where doc coddle is assessing callie's injuries she has her jaw wired shut and i could say some mean things but I will not. Yeah, that's, that's not appropriate. <laughs> uh, she looks terrible. Like, she really beat the crap out of her. Yeah. 
she doesn't want to go back to work, even though Doc Cottle says she's okay too. And he makes a snide comment about like love a a woman that could still complain even with her jaw wired shut or whatever. It's talk about inappropriate. Come on. Doc. Yeah, I, I noticed that like this time watching it, I've never like you know, right. Yeah. um and he tells her that she has a visitor and leaves as chief comes in and chief is really sorry he um i watched these i don't know if you watched them on the blu-ray but there's these david ike has these uh video blogs yeah i didn't i don't know that i watched the one for this one but i did watch uh i watched some of them there wasn't one for this one, but there was one of them where they are doing a table read of an earlier episode. And Aaron Douglas's demeanor is just so different from Chiefs. And like, I've only seen Aaron Douglas in this and The Flash, I think he did a couple <laughs> episodes of. Okay. Um, where he also played like sort of a brute in a way. So I've never seen him like sort of relaxed and soft if if that's the right term. Mm-hmm. And after watching that and then rewatching this episode for a second time. I watched this yesterday, but then I watched again this afternoon just to make sure I wasn't missing any sort of nonverbal things that happen. Um and what I noticed is th- this thing he does with his face when he's (sighs) he does it a lot so sometimes he does it when he's kind of mad or frustrated um but he also does it here when he's like sorry where he like has this like like minute glare of his eyes where he like squints his eyes just a little bit Mm -hmm. like he's trying to fight off having a reaction on his face um but it's very it's a very chief expression <laughs> that I wonder if like that's something that Aaron Douglas just does in real life too, but it always has this like almost menace behind it. And I don't think that this was menacing. I think this was him like essentially he's rejecting her forgiveness. Like he can't believe that she would even forgive him for what he did. Um, But she tells him, pretty much that he's an idiot that she knows it wasn't him you know and he's like it was me i i was dreaming but it was me and she's like no it wasn't you and then she tells him that she cares about him and always has so in the last episode there was a deleted scene yes that clearly happened after this even though it was included in that episode mm-hmm. where she's they're actually on the hangar deck and she basically confesses to him that she has feelings for him and she kisses him. Yeah. Um, I'm fine with them leaving that out because we, I think we get what we need to from here. And even though we don't have the space filled in between this scene and later on a year later on new caprica but when we see them together it's not as shocking as it could have been and i don't think that we needed the kissing scene yeah in order to get there uh and then we don't see them 
We don't see Callie again till later. We go back to Caprica and the rescue team is not doing well. They're pinned down. They can't raise the raptors because the frequencies are being jammed. But then suddenly the barrage stops. Like it just gets quiet. And Boomer tells them that the next step is getting gassed and waking up on one of those farms. And Starbuck is like, no, uh, -uh, I am not going back to one of those farms. And so she basically makes Anders agree to a double murder suicide pact thing if it comes to that. (laughs) How romantic. And I wrote in my notes that he must really love her despite only spending the equivalent of a couple of days with her because he agrees to this. Yeah. Like, sure, I'll let you shoot me and I'll shoot you. Absolutely. Like, I get it. I get where she's coming from. But. Yeah. I, you know, it it felt it felt drastic, but at the same time, totally understandable. Like, yeah, <laughs> just like, don't don't take don't let them take us alive. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Things also are not looking great for Rosalind's campaign. <clears throat> She's down two more points behind Baltar in the polls. And I don't know. They say two more. So I don't know how many points behind him she already was. And she's like, you know, can't believe this is happening despite his notions of social policy and the fact that he's still riding the colonizing the planet thing that she thinks is a terrible idea. And then she's like, basically like, well, I guess I should start packing up my office unless you have a secret backup plan in your pocket. And Tori's Mm -hmm. like... Uh, I do. I got this. I got this. <laughs> She's Tori fucking Foster. Of course, she has a plan. I need. I need a Tori in my life so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you? I don't remember what I was thinking. You know, fifteen years ago when I watched this. So I don't remember if I would have thought in this moment, like, okay, so Tori's got a plan. They're going to try to steal the election. But did that occur to you? I can't, you know, I can't honestly remember. Like, obviously, it felt like something was up. I don't know that I thought that it was going to go in the direction that it went so directly. Um, But I don't know. I think I might have been more, at that time, I might have been more in tune with what was going on in Caprica um, Mm -hmm. than, um, than, like, you know, the the election part just at this point. So I think I probably assumed that she was going to try to do something to sabotage Baltar. Mm-hmm. Because stealing an election is pretty extreme. Yeah, it's like there's there there's an element maybe, at least for me, where like I might not have even believed it was going to go there because like these are these are all the quote unquote good guys and they would never mm-hmm. do anything like that, you know? So, right. Yeah. So we go back to the rescue party, and the Cylons haven't done anything for 18 hours. Starbuck thinks they're up to something, and she, like, cocks her gun or something, and it wakes Anders up. And I realized in that moment that he does look like Christian Bale. (laughs) 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 From certain angles, he definitely does look like Christian Bale. I turned to Jason and said that because he came in while I was watching this, and I was like, yeah, like, in profile, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of it there. Anyway, Anders asks if she has any brilliant plans, and she says that she does the same thing they always do, fight until they can't. Mm. She tells 
she tells Hilo that they need to get a recon crew together to get a better look, and when they do, they find that the Cylons are gone. Which is a good thing, because they were right out in the open, not even trying to, like, hide behind things, like this little scrub of a bush, like, oh, I can't see you. <laughs> who, who trained these guys? <laughs> so your friend with military background would be really helpful at this moment to be like, what <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> So behind them, suddenly, Cavill is there and he says, thank the gods. And so like, we're, we have to assume that he was just with them this whole time. And I know that Ron Moore originally had a plan to have a signman that was in with the resistance, like posing as a doctor. Hmm. And he sort of scrapped that. So I guess that's kind of what's happening here with Cavill is that Cavill's just been with them pretending to be a human yeah in the commentary he he talked because i remember watching this when i originally watched this back in the day and i was confused by what was happening um and he like even ron moore says in the commentary he's like yeah we like it was a little confusing and they didn't i don't know if he said like they didn't block it right or something but um and it wasn't until i think i listened to the commentary where i really understood that this cavil was with the resistance because uh, it kind of felt like the way that it rolled out it kind of felt like he went on the mission with them. it was just really weird yeah well we know that when starbuck finds them it's basically all that's left of the resistance because they've yeah. sort of the silence have attacked their base mm -hmm. so that makes sense and that you know there's all these people that we don't see and we have to assume that some of them are I mean, they're all civilians. None of these guys are military, but like mm -hmm. some of them are just people who aren't running around with guns. Yeah. And also, if you go back and you watch, there's several shots of Sharon mm -hmm. where it looks like she's looking at something specific. Yeah, but we absolutely. don't see what she's looking at. So I yeah. think she was looking at him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I actually have that in my notes. There's a couple bits um, where she's kind of like is looking up and... Or just she like it's like she knows something, mm -hmm. um, but she's also kind of she has that that also I don't care about what happens kind of feel. Yeah, like when she's talking about the um, they'll gas us and all this stuff. Like she's not looking at Starbuck. She's not looking at Hilo. She's looking straight ahead. Yeah, which you you know before you know Cavill is there, you can read as she's just she's giving them information. She's not helping them. Mm -hmm. But now I think about it, and I'm like, she must have been looking right at him. She's known this whole time who he yes. is. Yeah, she absolutely, I mean, yeah, she absolutely knew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like, no one is surprised to see him because he's just been with them right. this whole time. Uh, we go to Colonial One, where Rosalind is having a prayer said for her by the other Cavill. So in case anybody was not sure, these are silence. <laughs> Yeah. Later, Baltar goes to Adama's quarters and he's expecting to meet with Adama, but it's Rosalind. And she basically proposes to him that he should remove the promise of settling on the planet until after the election when they can do some research and see if it's even feasible to safely live there. And he's a lot of things, but stupid isn't one of them. And he's just like, yeah, nice try. And calls her desperate. So she plays her last card, which is asking him if he was with a tall, blonde woman in Caprica City right before the attack. 
And this is when Six appears behind her and says, she knows. And then tells Balter that he needs to get out of there because Rosalind can see right through him. And he says to Rosalind that she'll resort to anything to win and that his affairs on Caprica are none of her business. And he says that he saved her life, but he won't save her political career. And while she nurses that burn, he leaves. So all I have in my notes about this scene is that Baltar is such a child. Yes. And that and that's 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 it. <laughs> Cuz you know, especially in light of the previous episode when, you know, like he doesn't even believe himself that this is a viable option for humanity and projects that they will you know, like they will only be able to last a few years and he like he has the audacity to like to say to her like that he believes that this is like that they should settle here it just Mm -hmm. it's so it's a cersei lannister syndrome where he's decided this is the truth and he runs with it even though he knows it's a lie yeah it is i mean it just it's frustrating (laughs) yeah i have a lot to say about this sort of aspect of Baltar later. Okay. <clears throat> so we make a quick stop to check in with the ties. Uh-huh. And <laughs> Saul is telling Ellen that they are not going down to that planet. And she says, if Baltar wins the election, why would they stay boxed up in this ship? And he says that it's his job to protect the fleet. She's free to go to the planet and mess around with any of the men that she wants. And she's like, I want you and, and this is the first time she's ever said it that i believe her mm-hmm. honestly mm-hmm. but then the phone rings and he finds out that starbuck is back so he rushes off to the hangar deck and then at the hangar deck we've got some refugees you know and injured people being taken off and starbuck is patting herself on the back ty says there's there'll be no living with her now and then Sheena Dama hug and she gives him this cutest little scrunchy face. nose yeah, smile. <laughs> yeah. It's so cute. Yeah. I but love I had it. to like rewind it again just to be like, oh my God. Like she's I don't think I've ever seen her make that face before or since. Yeah. But it was so I feel, cute. I feel like she might have done it as at some point with him, but I'm not sure. But the, the, yeah, definitely. I mean, I have it in my notes. I, I love the scrunchy face and the hug. I wrote. Yeah. I just, oh, it's so good. She introduces him to Anders, who he recognizes. And I know we talked about this before. Like, Anders is clearly like a very famous athlete. Yeah. Um. So it's got to be like Tom Brady or LeBron James. I, I, maybe David Beckham. I'm not sure that David Beckham is is as recognizable outside of Europe. I don't know. I feel like yeah, Tom know. Brady or LeBron James are going to be recognized. Yeah. Anyway, I think he's yeah. that level. Yeah. Uh, Adama says he was a hell of a player, but he's a Pycon Panthers fan himself. And Anders just like, yeah, well, we beat them too. <laughs> I realized that that I kept saying that I kept saying that uh like earlier in the podcast I kept saying Anders like Pycon Panthers before I realized he's the Caprica Buccaneers. And I realized that that's where I got that from. Is oh. <laughs> uh, Adama saying Pycon Panthers is where he first heard it. I, I have a little like he. So it's actually this is this is not this is not serious. So 
let's not really dive into this, but he says he's a Picon Panthers fan, but he's a Toron originally from Caprica. And I'm like, what, like, what are, what's your deal, dude? You're supposed to be a Caprica Buccaneers fan. Like, how did you become a Picon Panther how fan? How do people become fans of any team outside right. of where they live? Yeah, it's like I, I know a guy that like he's from New York and so and but he's a Cowboys fan and it's like they they're, they're like that's your rival. And how did you become a Cowboys fan? My it's, cousin, it's who is was born and raised in Rhode Island, has never lived anywhere else, ever, is a Yankees fan. A Yankees fan. I, well, I, like, I, how I, do I, how do you how do you exist in our family? <laughs> Like yeah, born like he and should be red a Red Sox fan. Yeah, he should be a Red Sox fan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like it's yeah, it's weird. Like there's there's an element that I like like I don't know. There's an element of it like I can see as like a kid you might like a team's doing really well maybe. And so you that you become a fan of them even though you're mm-hmm. like from somewhere else cuz I know a bunch of people like I'm from um San Francisco Bay Area. And when I was growing up, like the Warriors just were historically terrible. And so we kind of like we would the it was like the Lakers and the Celtics had a, you know, back and forth. Yeah. So like we picked the, the Lakers. And so I know a lot of people I know have grown up and they still are like diehard Laker fans, even though they've you know, they're not from this. So I, I mean, I I get it from a from a certain as aspect but like in in this case i just was like How <laughs> and it's again it's not it's not serious at all um but no. i just thought about it yeah <laughs> i grew up thinking that the braves were as big as the yankees because mm-hmm. they were on television because mm-hmm. ted turner put them on television <laughs> so i thought like they're on tv all the time they must be like the biggest like most popular baseball team in the country other than the Yankees yeah and and at when I grew up and realized like oh <laughs> no that was just favoritism he owned the network yeah. and the team right so... right <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure that made a lot of people turn into Braves fans because they're just it was always on television no matter where you yeah. lived, you could watch Braves games yeah I mean in the in the 90s they were actually pretty good too so they were. I mean, there's that and they're really good now again yeah, this is true sports are cyclical oh. uh <laughs> as a patriots fan we're in a downswing right now it's <laughs> really gonna, really good depressing luck, i mean good luck for the next 30 years i'm just gonna put that out there <laughs> yeah no i, I am this is a funny story my cousin my cousin felicity she's the cutest she basically like her entire life the patriots were winning i think i think she was born in 1999 or 2000 or something so her whole life they were on top of the world and she's like diehard diehard fan yeah and then brady left and i was like she posted something she's like it's okay we're in a rebuilding year and i was like Mm. oh my sweet summer child (laughs) you don't know you don't know what it's like to support this team when they suck. Yeah, I mean that was buckle in because it's going to be rough for a they long had... time. <laughs> yeah, they had like one or two seasons, decade apart, and where they were in the Super Bowl, that was that was like more an aberration than anything. And yeah, yeah, like she just she didn't have any context to understand that the Patriots were not always good, and she's learned now. It's it's been. Four years, <laughs> three years, and uh, they're awful. So, 
Anyway. <laughs> I kind of feel like it's like ha- like um, people that like keep, like they would be grown upish now, um, but like or at least in their early twenties or something. But like that were Mar- like our MCU fans, and they really mm-hmm. have no concept that that run that they did uh, yeah. was like unheard of. It's unprecedented. It's never yeah. happened before, and so their expectations and probably are will be never totally happen skewed. again. But never happened again. Yeah, it's like I'd never. Yeah. I was so impressed when it was happening because like I've never seen a run of like just movie after movie that was like at least like at least a B. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because like yeah, especially growing up with terrible, <clears throat> terrible comic book movies. And um, I don't. I don't. I mean, we had a whole MCU discussion before this, so I don't yeah. want to get back into that. But I also don't want to. I don't want to be like those people that are like, oh, the MCU should just pack it up. Marvel's done. Like mm-hmm. no. It's sometimes you need to have some stumbles so you can build yourself back up. They're yeah. just they're they need a break. Yeah, they they'll, break, come, but I, it, they'll come back. It, it just it'll never be like it was between two thousand eight and twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen. Never. Right. Again. But is this what I'm saying? Those like those those people that grew up like and that's all they've known. They don't really understand that that was like. You yeah. grew up on the mountaintop, like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were you know, born you have... on yeah. the mountaintop. <laughs> now you have to come down to the valley where we're like, oh yeah, it kind of sucks yeah. down here. <laughs> it's green and all, but it's not as pretty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Starbuck tells Adama and everybody that the silent occupation is over; that they've left the colonies and Cavill pops up behind them like boo but really he's like no it's true they've gone for greener pastures and Tyrrell sees him and it like tackles him mm-hmm. and everyone's like what the fuck chief before chief is like he's a Cylon and to his credit Cavill's like well you got me I'm a Cylon <laughs> <laughs> and he he's asked to be taken to their leader but yeah. Donna's like take him to the brig and then turns and looks at Sharon and says, take that to the brig too. Yeah. And that he... was so significant. His mm-hmm. choice of words there yes. because he was the one that it, between him and Ty episodes ago, mm-hmm. like Ty was like that thing. And he was he using kept calling her. her and yeah, she, yeah. Yeah. Humanizing her. Yeah. So, but they, I mean, they, but he's right <laughs> also, but then yes. there's a, there's a shot too. Like we were talking about a little bit more. Where Sharon kind of like she kind of looks up and around and like yeah she knows mm-hmm. you know like yeah so. and and but Hilo is like come on sir she didn't know and I mean Hilo my love I love you I <laughs> named my car after you I love you so Hilo. much you are lucky you're pretty because <laughs> you're very dumb she knew you just don't want to believe that she knew yeah. And in the brig, he asks her why she didn't say anything about Cavill. And she's like, well, maybe I didn't want to. Maybe she wanted him to come here and blow the ship up. And he looks like, you don't mean that. And then he's like, we just got the Admiral to trust us. And she's like, you think I care? You think I care about you or us or the Admiral trusting us? They killed my baby. Yeah. And the fact that like Hilo is so pure. He's just so pure. He, I don't know if it's because he like was able to accept it better because he released the ashes. So for him, like this is just a tragedy that happened. 
but we need to move on. Like, he wants her to get out of the brig. And she's, like, convinced, like, they killed my baby. And fuck these people. And she has every right to be feeling that way. And Hilo's just naive to not even consider that she would be this angry and devastated and illogical because how can you be logical like how is he so logical about this i don't know yeah i mean it's a he's just so i mean what you're saying and it's like in like a lot of ways he ends up being right also and so it's like he he the the fun the function he serves on the show is to like be the be the truth Mm -hmm. and so even when whether it's Adama or Sharon like kind of goes off stray he's there to like kind of like be the the one that like stays on the path and and he's right because she does come back and you make mistakes as a quote-unquote human you know and he's he's kind of understanding of that right now she's just in intense pain yeah and wants to hurt them because they hurt her. And in a lot of ways, that's more understandable or noble Mm -hmm. than like that. She's a dirty fracking, right. Duplicitous Psylocke that can't be trusted. I, I don't even think that she can't be trusted. I think that just right now they shouldn't be asking anything of her, Mm -hmm. asking her to go on this mission and trusting her means a lot it means that they did trust her because like i said last week she was not in handcuffs but they're not considering they're not considering her emotions they're thinking you know oh she had a baby she's a machine whatever she doesn't care but obviously she cares that was her baby and i think it's a lot harder for her to let go when she carried that baby she gave birth to that baby and then it suddenly was dead and with no explanation yeah and you know like there's a there's a we'll probably bring this up at some points down the road but like in in writing there's sort of like this idea of like theme and anti-theme and this goes along with characters that were like like sometimes you have to show them being awful so that you can show them mm-hmm. like if your intention is eventually to have to show the good and so, like in the in the case of this, as as like all the stuff, even you know when I when I I brought up a few episodes before when she doesn't tell, um, she doesn't say how many Cylons are in the fleet, right? Um, um, it makes all of that all the more sweeter. We find out a little bit later where where she ends up, um, you know, in that year after that year that we're going to mm-hmm. be experiencing. So yeah. it's like you can't have. You know, sometimes you like you have to have this stuff so that you can have like that the good stuff that's going to come later. You really appreciate it a lot more. And I and I say the same thing about Cat actually. Like in her episode, <laughs> like yeah. after all the stuff that she went through, I really appreciated her for the first time when I first watched the show. Um, I appreciated her that much more because of all the stuff that we had gone through previously, where I couldn't stand her. So. It's what uh, two of my favorite podcasters refer to all the time as how much they love a character on an arc. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 
so Sharon drops the phone and lays down in her bunk while Hilo bangs on the glass and yells that he loves her. I have a little thing. I wanted to go back just real quick. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So, you know, you know, when he's like, take me to your leader, mm-hmm. it made me, it made me even more annoyed uh, with the whole discussion around uh, having your pound of flesh conversation um, where people were really hung up on that specific phrase. Cause they were like, it couldn't exist. Cause the Shakespeare said it first. And I'm like, the take me to your leader is like, is like sort of like, a version of that you know yeah. from like you know and it's like it's so specific but nobody i couldn't find anybody that was hung up on that at all and it, it drove me nuts <laughs> i mean that's I even more that of it's more of an anachronism yeah than i had to get it push. out okay <laughs> <laughs> there is actually some there's actually some stuff i did find um a little bit later um they talk about like the use of uh, French, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and, I wrote, yeah, I, I found yeah. that too. Yeah, and it's like they use French terms over the course of the show, and it's like nobody cares. But they were so <laughs> hung up on pound of flesh, and I the whole time I'm just like, yeah, this is obviously this is all some kind of mixed hodgepodge fantasy. I don't know what's going on, but like obviously they're speaking English. And they're wearing suits, so something's going on, and yeah. like, you know, so just like roll with it. But it's just weird the things people like decide yeah. that it's an issue, and others aren't. I had it was so important. I needed to like stop and go back. And... <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll move on to Starbucks. Starbuck and Anders doing shots. Yeah, she shot, 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 shot. Pours shot, him shot. the second one, and he's like, "Hey, there's no need to get me drunk. I'll sleep with you." And she calls him a slut. <laughs> And they make out, and they're obnoxious. Well, she's obnoxious. They're obnoxious. Um, Apollo comes in and is, like, grossed out and jealous. Starbuck introduces him to Sam. She calls him Sammy, which he says not to call him. (laughs) And Apollo tries his best to be civil, but it doesn't matter because Starbuck is wasted and horny and is all over Anders. And, I mean, I don't blame her. Um... (laughs) (laughs) She asks Apollo when he's going to get himself a girl, and he says he's doing fine. And then she counters by asking if he's still fracking Duwala. And this is like a step too far. And so my question is, why does she say it like that? She's Starbuck. But like, Look, there's, what's well, wrong there's with Duwala? There's two, well, there's two, there's two, two answers. She's Starbuck. <laughs> Like, I mean, yeah. she did, like that's the answer. Like, I don't expect her to be couth or like you know whatever. Like, she's she's the she's the misbehavior, so she's going to say things that kind of poke and prod, right? But there's also there's like a there is an underlying kind of like truth to what she's saying because I think that his one of the main motivations for him to be with D is because he can't really figure out what's going on with Starbuck. And so in some ways she's his um, settling or consolation. And I don't think there's less, especially when she's wearing the officer's uniform a little bit later, like <laughs> D is a 10. She's an 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but Lee never really treats her that way. No. And that's just because he's blind or whatever, but cause he's, you know, whatever. But like, 
So I think in 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 some ways she's actually one hundred percent correct, and at least at least reading the situation, not that there's anything wrong with D, but he definitely isn't like, I'm in love with you, like you know they're on different ships, and you know yeah. I don't know, so <clears throat> it I just. Like, I get, like, she says it the way she says it, yes, because she's Starbuck, because she deep down is jealous, too. Not that deep. Not that deep down. But she's deep jealous. Down. But, like, it's just, I don't know. I, t- I took offense on Dee's behalf. That the way that she says it is as if, as if Duwala is so far beneath Lee as well. Like, like she's some... Like she's a prostitute. That well, he has you know, been known to consort. He has been known to consort with <laughs> prostitutes. And if it were like you're not still fracking that prostitute, are you? Would have made more sense than you're not still fracking Duala, yeah. as if Duala is like garbage. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see that. I, I, my personal read was just that, or my take when I hearing it was more of like, oh, that thing is still happening. Rather than like, there's something wrong with D. Even though there that there is a there is like this, there is a level of competition between the two of them. But I read it more of like, oh, that's not even a real thing. You're still doing that. You're still together. Like that's kind of yeah. how I okay. how I took it. But but I think that like what you're saying is like correct on lots of levels as well. So yeah, like who knows? We can't ask D. <laughs> Can't ask, can't ask Starbuck. Yeah, can't ask Starbuck either. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then she and Andrew start making out again, and Paulus just like, ugh, leaves. Um, <laughs> and then she like notices, oh, where'd he go? Like, what would you, you put in a sh- Are you charging for this? You putting on a show? Like, what's going on? Like, he's just going to yeah. stand there and watch? Like, come on. That she helped, knew, like, my... And like, she was putting on a show to make yeah. him jealous, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just went my my notes. All I wrote, I didn't even write anything about the scene. I just wrote so awkward. That's all I wrote because mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's the whole thing. Because yeah, like she just is so acting like she doesn't know he's there, but then she knows he's there. But then yeah. it's like, but she's Starbuck, and that's kind of like what like what she does. And I don't know how much of an underlying motivation there was for her to do anything other than just act out. I don't like. I don't know. You know, yeah. she's drunk. Um, the in the commentary, Ron Moore does talk, and David Icke talk about this scene just in terms of how they really love her performance here mm-hmm. and how it really is, like, the way she's acting, you really could see how people fall in love with her. And I, like, I agree on a certain level. And then they're, they're just like, like, this is one of the few scenes where she's, like, genuinely, purely 100% happy and laughing yeah um and so like her whatever charisma she has comes through in this scene so i mean there's that (laughs) yeah so we go to the brig and caprica cavill says that he's just there to deliver a message and after that they can do whatever they want with him and rosalind is just staring at him like blank faced and then Galactica Cavill is brought in under protest, saying that he's not a Cylon until he sees the other Cavill, and then he hilariously is like, well, okay then, and just walks into the other cell. (laughs) So Caprica Cavill apologizes for ruining his day, 
but there's been a change of plans. The Cylons have decided that occupying the colonies was an error. And everyone just stares at them. So the other Cavill, Galactica Cavill, says he could have told them that. It was faulty logic. And Caprica Cavill says, you live and learn. And he continues. He tells Rosalind and Adama about how a couple of war heroes' voices carried a lot of weight. And they started talking about the Cylons' need for a new beginning. When Adama questions this designation of war heroes, Cavill name drops Boomer. He calls her Sharon Valeri, but it's Boomer. The other Cavill says the Cylons aren't like humans. They can admit their mistakes and they're not afraid of change. Rosalind points out that they abandoned the colonies and left them an irradiated wasteland. And Cavill says that they also realized that their pursuit of the fleet was a mistake. They became what they hated. They became like the humans. They realized that they should be true to what they are. They are machines. Instead of finding their own paths to enlightenment, they hijack the humans. The humans' path. <laughs> and, um, then he tells them that they're giving them a reprieve. The Cylons and humans will go their separate ways. No harm done. And Adama's like, the fuck it's no harm done. He says they destroyed our civilization. Rosalind asks where the silence went. And Cavill doesn't want to say right now, which I think is a, we don't have this written out far enough yet, so we're not going to say yet. Adama snarks about their one true God. And the Cavill's both are basically like, ah, there's no God. That's just what small-minded people invented to try to understand the universe. Yeah. And Rosalind says she knows how to prove it and tells them to throw these Cylons out of the airlock. So I love this scene. I just Dean Stockwell's performance as Cavill continues on throughout the rest of the series to be just a delight. Mm -hmm. He's having so much fun. Yeah. They talk about the brilliance of his uh, acting in this particular scene because obviously there's two Cavills and like when you watch the scene, he actually studied it so well that he knew when to react to himself. <laughs> That's a pro. <laughs> so it's, yeah, yeah, and it's just like, uh, you know, and when they when they were talking about that, I was like, yeah, like when you watch it, it's like kind of seamless and just that level of um, expertise that and of acting that was brought mm -hmm. to the show by having these people come in. Well, um, and I don't believe at this point we have seen two of the same model interacting with themselves all that much. Um, not in this way. Like when um, Six or Boomer, when each of them like download, there is, you know, a Six model, a, a Eight model there. But there's reactions, but no interaction. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's a lot of like, you know, the Phoebe and Ursula friends trick where they're usually <laughs> you see the back of someone's head while the other one is talking. <laughs> um, there's a lot of that kind of stuff, body double stuff happening, um, which, by the way, it was Lisa Kudrow's sister that played her body double yeah. Yeah. in Friends, which is cute. This is like face to face. They are interacting with each other. In the yeah. scene. So the blocking of it had to be really precise and it was great. Like yeah. there was no moment watching this where I was like, it, this is, I mean, not quite at Orphan Black level, but like this 
feel seamless. It doesn't feel like, you know, we're cutting so that you can't, you, you're seeing one with the other right next to it. Like, it's just, it's really good. Yeah. Well, they, they, they actually, it's interesting you brought up Orphan Black because they actually talk a little bit about how even with like Sharon, like the most difficult parts for like for Sharon and Six, it's like they're playing different people, but it's like it's on a different level. It's like you're not playing like something, someone completely different. You're playing the same person that has like a different perspective. And so to be able to pull that off takes like a bit of chops and like intention Mm -hmm. um, that and the same thing with Dean Stockwell here. It's like he's playing the same person, but like, but not right. As opposed to um, uh, Orphan Black, she's playing what Sarah and Kasima and and Helena and and Helena, yeah, and who was the, Allison. Who was the, Allison, that's what I was trying to think of. The best one, uh, which, like, again, I mean, that's like brilliant. It, it's not to say that she's like was doing anything less because like that whole thing is just absolutely brilliant mind blowing. my my mind is like i'm sitting there watching orphan black like i know this is the same person <laughs> but like it's like i can't like i can't and like i'm like i'm more attracted to some of her than others <laughs> um <laughs> i was crazy. watching it was a comic-con panel uh-huh. and <laughs> Satiana Maslani, and she was sitting next to the guy who played Donnie, who was like, you know, Allison's husband on the show. Uh huh. Yeah. And I'm watching this, and I was like, God, like you just never see Sarah with with Donnie. This is so weird. And then I was like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, it is the same. It's just her. It's just it's Tatiana Maslani. Yeah. It is. It's just. It's so uncanny. <laughs> it's so crazy. It was so hard to like remind myself every week that this is one actress doing all of these characters. She's just, she's brilliant. She's my favorite actress. I just don't, I, she should be winning Oscars. She's so good. <sighs> Watch Orphan Black, guys. That show's amazing. Yeah, so good. Um, Okay. So now it's time for the election. And we've all watched election coverage. So let's just zoom past this. The ballots are counted. Newscaster updates the fleet. Baltar is a few thousand votes ahead. Rosalind's feeling defeated, so she whispers something to Tori, who goes to the phone and calls Ty. Ty nods at Duala, and then she goes out to intercept a delivery of votes. She brings the box back to the room where they're being counted, and we see that the box is sealed, that Gita unlocks it, and, you know, dumps all the votes out. And then it's reported that Rosalind got 8,000 votes and is now definitively in the lead. So Baltar admits defeat and Zarek is like, I've seen a lot of elections that are fixed and not fixed. And when something is weirdly off, it's usually because they've been fixed. And Baltar's like, look, Rosalind is many things, but she's not corrupt. This is over. Um, without going into detail about the election one, the way it's the, the way that they frame this entire thing was interesting to me. Because right when they go to the uh, like election day, right? They start playing military drum, like mm-hmm. the snare drum, which like usually is reserved for like military scenes. And I just thought that that was interesting. Um, and then, you know, and watching the the me- the method of how like the votes are being secured and everything is like the military is serving that function. 
Mm-hmm. And there's this implied idea of like integrity from their side when they're, you know, like at least in our world, we like we're kind of used to like if the military is in control, it's like, you know, that government's corrupt. Yeah. Um, I just I don't know. It, it's nothing about nothing. But those are like the little little things that kind of interest me when I watch certain little bits and pieces uh, from the show. So I kept watching the the handoff of this box from the Zephyr mm-hmm. to Duala, and then like we don't see anything amiss. We know something's going on because Ty was talking to Tori, and Tori, and then Ty nodded at Duala, and then Duala like goes out and gets this box instead of someone else doing it. So obviously they're up to something, but there's no break in the chain of command from when Duala picks up this box and then has it carried it directly into the counting room. So I don't know where the switch happened. There's a, I think that there was actually, I don't know if they shot that in particular, but apparently there was a lot of footage shown shot um, that had like sort of like the ins and outs of how even like just how they were counting votes and stuff. And they left lots of it on the cutting room floor. So maybe there was a scene when they show them shifting the box away yeah because we as an audience we still don't know what's going on what their plan is here we know they're up to something but we don't know what their plan is right so then adama calls rosalind to congratulate her but she's not really celebrating which also makes us as an audience be like hmm something's up here so then gata's going over the ballots and he notices that the ones from the Zephyr are wrong. And he brings it to Ty's attention. He says that earlier the Zephyr called him to tell him that their ballots had a typo and had spelled Baltar's first name wrong. And he told them it was okay to use those ballots because it was too late to change them. But these ballots have the name spelled right. So they can't be the real votes. And Ty's just like, okay, I'll handle it. And Gata's like, no, no. And Ty's like, I got it. And, like, dismisses Gaeta, which makes Gaeta's, like, hackles go up. Like, something's up here. So he goes and calls Adama and informs him that he thinks that Ty messed with the election. You want to know what I wrote in my notes? What? Effing Gaeta. (laughs) (laughs) Gaeta is the kind of person that reminds the teacher they forgot to assign homework. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, but this also makes me question again, like, did they just have this spare box with these fake votes tucked aside? And at what point was D able to switch those boxes out with these other two people who were carrying the box that they picked up from the people delivering it? Yeah. You know, like how many people are involved in this conspiracy? Yeah, there's a, there's a, um, comes a little bit later uh where i i have this whole thing they there was a deleted scene a little bit later uh where they go into like all these details about how something could happen um i think it's with how baltar gets to cloud nine after the election oh um, yeah the 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 deleted scenes from this episode yeah from this episode oh, yeah. they're terrible yeah so they cut that scene right and um and i'm like 
glad they did because just kind of like here, it's like, like some like, and I, I kind of feel like the same way. I'm like one of the I'm one of the rare people in the world that is not a huge fan of the movie The Dark Knight. Um, hmm. But there's there's some parts of The Dark Knight that I feel like they go through so many. It's like the whole bit when he like goes to Hong Kong. They show all of this stuff of how he's able to get there. That it it's like they showed so many details. It actually invited like character plot holes and logic holes for me. Whereas if he had just shown up there, like <laughs> you know, I could have just kind of filled in the blanks. And so it kind of for me and again, I I understand. I recognize that I'm a different different cat. So I'm not saying you know because I I acknowledge again most people like that movie. But for me, it's like has showing all of these things. I'm like, well, what wouldn't these people on the on the boat like like wonder why he took off in a cargo plane? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and like if they had to cut all that stuff out and just kind of like we like we kind of we get it. Um, so for this, for the for the election thing, it's like they could like, yeah, I don't know exactly how like they would have figured it out. But you just like I'm just kind of like, yeah, they they did something, you know. Um, but do you know, like Heath Ledger's performance in The Dark Knight? That's the him and um, Aaron Eckhart, like the two people that I feel like deserved to win okay. Academy Awards for their for their that's, roles. That's really what matters. Yeah, but it's like I I also like I don't know it's a little dark, but I also feel like if he hadn't passed, I don't think that the movie would have risen to the heights that it did because there was there wasn't as much of there wouldn't have been as much of a morbid curiosity around I, it i think you're right about that i yeah. also wonder if he would have been oscar nominated for it he should have won an oscar for uh brokeback mountain so mm-hmm. um for me this one was a little bittersweet because he deserved it for brokeback he got this one because he didn't get that one and he died mm-hmm. um, yeah i love his performance as a joker i think he was unbelievable yeah, no, it, it was his but, his performance was great. I'm not saying that it was Yeah, wasn't. no, I that's why yeah. I had to clear like please yeah. tell me that you appreciate what Heath did because yeah. that, you're right. That movie I like The Dark Knight, but for me what I like about that movie the most and what has led me to watch it more than once is his performance and mm-hmm. his performance alone. Mm-hmm. Otherwise like the Nolan Batman movies are a little long and a little boring for long mm-hmm. stretches of time. So mm-hmm. I, they don't, I, I'm not like a total stand for those. I, also, I just can't, I'm so over Batman. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. the movie does, I mean, it doesn't even really, it's not even really about Batman, you know, and that's a, a that's a sort of like a Batman movie problem after his first movie, you know, um, for any of the Batman movies, almost, um, but you know, not, like just overall the story, like mm-hmm. I don't know what the movie's about, you know. Right. And yeah. um, when I kind of corner, because I'm good at that, I'm kind of corner people on on that they can't like they they start stumbling, and they can't answer because it's like for them it's just all about the feel and the mood, which give yep. for Nolan credit, like that's what he's good at, right? I mm-hmm. think that's why Oppenheimer is kind of what it is because it's sort of like the spectacle and shown visually, it's stunning, but just 
for me that I, I pay attention to the story more than anything else. I'm just kind of like, what's going on here? You know, to take it back to Battlestar, like I, I, I literally wrote that in my notes for that scene. It gives it a little bit later. They show like all these ways Baltar gets to get to cloud nine. And yeah. it's like, dude, like it, for me, it, that's what made me think of the dark Knight because I'm like, well, then you have all these Marines that know he's there. And like, it just like, we don't, we didn't need all of that. Like, yeah. <laughs> He, we yeah. see him sitting in the room, and I'm good. Yeah, I never even questioned it. So when I watched those deleted scenes, I was like, okay, I'm glad they took this out. It's like, yeah, pointless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so we see Adama telling Rosalind what he'd found out, that Tori and Ty conspired to steal the election for Rosalind. And she stops him when he starts talking about a judicial tribunal and tells him that she knew about it. She didn't know exactly what Tori was going to do or that she'd involved Ty but she gave the go-ahead to do something. She couldn't let Baltar win. And Adama says that he doesn't want Baltar as a president either. She insists that Baltar is working with the Cylons, and she talks about what she saw in Caprica, and when he asks why she didn't say anything before, she says that she only remembered when she was dying. She has no proof. And he says that if they allow this to happen, they're criminals. So he's already like, okay, I know this. No one else knows this. So if I if I say I'm going to keep my mouth shut, then I'm involved now. Mm-hmm. So we are criminals. And even if no one knows, we are still criminals. And he basically tells her that she would have to live with knowing what, that she tried to steal an election and that that would actually kill her faster than her cancer. And she lets out this like deep sigh, this like Mary McDonald uh, masterclass you, performance sigh. You wrote like I read, literally wrote that. I wrote the exhale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's over. And then she says, "Like that's it. We just give up." And he says, "The battle, but not the war." So then he tells Baltar, and he makes it sound like a counting error, which is the smart way to approach this with Baltar. And Baltar wants to know what kind of counting error on Adama's ship could swing the election to Adama's preferred candidate. And Adama's just like, take your victory and be happy with it. Dude, what is he on about? Like, Adama brought it to him, right? right? So, like, shut up. <laughs> it's just Baltar bullshit. Yeah, like, I'm so, I was so annoyed. <laughs> Baltar it's, bullshit. It's, I'm going to trademark that. <laughs> Because his all his posturing, it's like at least no wind posture. Like yeah, like, like you, you know, won, like, dude. He yeah. They, they haven't. You never. You hadn't conceded yet. It wasn't announced that Rosalind was the winner yet. So, or maybe it was, but like, hey, we caught this before it's too late. We didn't yeah. have to bring this to we you. Didn't like, have to tell you. Oh, yeah. I'm so frustrating. I'm so frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> Baltar just tells him to set a course for New Caprica. Oh, <laughs> so they all jump to New Caprica. And after that, Baltar goes to Cloud Nine to visit Gina. And he's telling her that, you know, oh, well, because of my new position, it's going to be so much harder for me to sneak over here, see you. But we'll figure it out once we get down to New Caprica. And she's like, well, I'm not going. And he's like, yeah, you are. Everyone is. And she's like, no. And. He then he's just like, oh, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like he's not getting his way. Can't boss mm-hmm. her around. He yeah. can't have her captive, the way that he does right now. We're so, going. We are going. 
Yeah, it's she's just like no, bit. no. I think you can tell who I think is. I think you know by the end. I think he's the worst. Yes. Like it's so, I mean, oh my god. My response was a hundred percent. Um, but then she like he goes to leave and she asks him to stay and she takes off her shirt. We see all these scars and stuff on her back and then she heads to the bedroom and he follows. So uh, he gets his finally gets his his moment to sleep with her. And then we see that he's being sworn in as president and intercut with this. We see her sitting naked in front of the warhead. He signs his first executive order requiring the fleet to immediately establish settlements on New Caprica. And on cloud nine, Gina cries while the timer counts down and then it explodes and takes out several ships around it. Mind, mind blown. Yeah. In that moment when I, well, the first time I watched it, like what? Yeah. <laughs> and that wasn't even, it wasn't even over yet. Yeah. So uh, Adama gives Baltar the findings on the explosion. They suspect that the warhead was stolen from Baltar's lab by a Cylon agent. Baltar's just like, can I offer you some tea? Yeah. And Adama ignores him and continues. He thinks that this could be the first step in another Cylon attack. They need to focus their sec- focus on their security. And Baltar's just like, no. Our first priority is to the people, and we will settle on the planet because he knows, we know that he knows that this wasn't a coordinated attack. He can't tell him why he knows this or that he gave the warhead to this person. Um, he just says he doesn't need to listen to Adama because he's the president. Okay, Trump. (laughs) And the camera zooms, like Adama leaves and Baltar like is crying because Gina's dead. And then he like puts his head down and the camera has like zoomed out and then in on him and then we hear Gaeta trying to get Baltar's attention and then we see that it's one year later and Gaeta's saying that the union needs an answer and there's this woman getting dressed in the background and Baltar starts complaining about the bureaucracy of being a president if it isn't the union it's the quorum or the people's council they survived a nuclear holocaust and people just complain about the weather and Gaeta says that it's more than that. But Baltar cuts him off and asks how many Cylon attacks there have been since he's been president. And Gaeta says there's been none. So why are they complaining? He tells Gaeta to tell the union to get off their asses and make things so they won't get arrested. So Gaeta leaves and we see that there's another woman in there too. And Baltar takes some pills. And okay. <clears throat> <laughs> People like this, like Trump, they don't want to do the work as a leader because they're not leaders. They just want power. What they are you want... talking about? He invited, <laughs> he invited the, that, I think it was the basketball or was it football team? And he had McDonald's for their team meal. Oh, yeah, so what are you yeah. talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> these people want the spoils that are awarded to people in powerful positions without having to do any of the boring stuff. They just want to dictate, but democracy doesn't work that way. <laughs> so 
when Baltar surrenders later, I think he's actually relieved because now he doesn't have to take, he doesn't have to have responsibility anymore. He doesn't have to do the work of a president. And like, I've said before, I said on the last episode, like when I rewatched this in like 2018 or whatever, I was just like, oh my God, fucking Baltar is just Trump. And it's stuff like this of like, Trump just wanted to tell people what to do and to flaunt around as like, I'm the president, stomp, 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 like, but do none of the work when he spent eight years in the press, like saying that Obama wouldn't play golf too much and -hmm. was never working. And then when he got the job, he didn't want to work either, even less. Like, I think Obama wanted to do the job. It's just sometimes you need a day off. I mean, let's be real. Who cares? But Trump wanted to be on vacation and get paid to run a country, but not run the country. And and that's I mean, what uh, what Baltar's doing here too. Like he doesn't want to run anything. He just wants the title. He wants the power. Yeah, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when uh, when uh, Bush Junior, not Bush Junior, but you know. Bush the second um, was in office and like uh, up right at, running right up until nine eleven. The big talk was that he had he was he was at he Camp had taken David more, all the time. Yeah, he had taken more vacation. Mm-hmm. Like number numbers that was like the that was the conversation about him before nine yep. eleven. I remember that too. Yeah, and it's like it, you know, and I and I think that I mean, even going back to like the last episode, I think we talked. I think we talked a little, um, about it a little bit, and I think like on a on a certain level, I think every politician ever has a has a degree of that where you they, would have to, yeah, like you're you're. It's almost like okay, I've accomplished these things. What's next? And there's like a, just even even with people in their careers or whatever, it's like. Okay, I've done that. What else can I expand on? Now, the difference, say, what like the difference between, like, say, with Trump, um, like in particular, is that I, I really get a strong sense of there being nothing behind that other than like what this will do for my like mm-hmm. ego or my legacy. Like you can talk about that. I'm, I'm the president now, whereas opposed to other politicians, even politicians I don't agree with, but there are some politicians that I, I still do think that they on a certain level, they do have this vision of wanting to do good by people. Like they might have a different version of that, but you really get a sense with Trump that that's, not on the table at all well a lot of politicians it's they do look at it as civil service this is a Mm -hmm. civil service job i am serving the people whether they bend their morality or whatever power gets a hold of them is a, a different story but a lot of politicians on any side of whatever aisle, whether it's the two dominant parties or even like these little parties, like they still are doing it because they want to make change. They want to do something for the people and for the country. But you're right with Trump. It was, it was never about the American people. It was never about doing a duty. It was about winning a prize. Yeah. 
And I saw this really good, it's just sort of related, um, just like this morning, I think, um, you know, I spend a lot of time on TikTok. Um, and when I'm not hearing about um, blind items with Travis Kelsey, <laughs> uh, which have kind of, which have died down quite a bit, thank God. Because uh, uh, so, their their relationship is what it is and everybody can see it. And he went to South America to see her play this weekend. Right. Sure. Yeah, but I mean, like I said, I I do think that if I were to do a Hallmark movie, <laughs> the plot would be two people set up and they actually eventually fall in love. But anyways, <laughs> uh, but I, anyways, uh, no, but I I saw this really um, really interesting, um, uh, and I can't remember the person that said it. So if anyone out there stumbles across across this I, I'm not aware of who to give this idea credit to but they were actually talking about in the, in the context of billionaires the difference between billionaires uh, you know turn of the century turn I, I, should, I, need, I need to be specific turn of like uh, the eight, 19th to the 20th century not like 20th to the 21st right um, but billionaires then versus billionaires now is that like say both billionaires are terrible but um, the difference between like a Carnegie who was like, you know, ostensibly uh, like a terrible man, he still had a sense of skin in the game for society. Mm -hmm. So he still like, you know, funded, you know, tons of libraries, they said, or like, you know, uh, Carnegie, like he has the, the Carnegie Bowen Kemp Foundation and the, what is it like in Pittsburgh with all the, he has like the, uh. Is it like a symphony hall? Like they do, like there's a bunch of yeah. stuff they, they they did. And there's an, to, a college, yeah, Carnegie build, Mellon. Yeah. So like they did all the stuff to like help build infrastructure and like all of these things as opposed to like, say like a Kim Kardashian now who it's like her, it's like they, they're really there to serve themselves. And yeah, they're dragons that, now. Yeah. And, and it's like. Not that not that they were great before, but like at least at least they like had some kind of duty to on some level the better society. And I and that's kind of like, you know, to take it to the politicians, um, and Trump in particular, it just for me it feels like he's he's really there to exalt himself mm -hmm. like like Baltar is. Yeah. Um and it's even like for Baltar it's even more it's because we, we actually know beyond a shadow of a doubt what drives the character so we're kind of watching him do the things he does it's like it's even more frustrating because i'm like he doesn't even believe he doesn't even believe they should be here and like i like in my notes i was just like he like he literally is responsible for like ten thousand people or however many people get left you know behind or like die that die and whatever i actually i actually wrote um this is all on you hilo <laughs> <gasps> <laughs> Hilo, Hilo, <laughs> but um, how but dare yeah, it's you? Like, how dare I? But you, you know, yeah, I'm just messing around. But it's just sort of like you, the it. It's so much more ugly that they're in this state of suffering simply because, because he wanted to win. Yep, for something that he didn't even believe in. Oh, it's it's so fresh. It's I mean I never liked it before, but like just kind of like having really like looked at it in through that lens, it, it drives it just drives me insane. Well, and it's crazy because this was written this you know this came out in what two thousand 
five, six? Uh, this, yeah, this was like 2007. This is seven six. or six or seven, I think. Yeah. So this was more like, and we see this a little bit more when the, when the Cylons actually arrive and we see this sort of inaction from, mm-hmm. from Baltar. That's very George Bush reacting to the 9-11 attacks where he just sat there mm-hmm. on camera and did nothing and what we see is he did nothing he just continued to read a book to kids um and i'm not going to go into like i can look back and be like okay i kind of i kind of get it like didn't want to alarm a bunch of children or whatever but also like that inaction spoke a lot of volumes because like if it had happened under obama's watch would he have sat there he no he would have he would have jumped up and like excused himself Excuse me, kids. Uh, I'm sorry I have to cut this short, but we got to go. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Like he would have he would have taken off. So I yeah. I understand like this was not a Trump allegory then. But what's happened in the last 20 years is we ended up with some, we ended up with a Baltar who who um, probably would have let us be invaded and taken over by russians if if needed if it would have if it would have protected him over anyone else you know what i mean so like yeah well the one of the beautiful things about the show um i would say beautiful in the context of uh showing the uh the ugly side of humanity and yeah. the, the idea that this has all happened before is built into the, mm-hmm. you know, the fabric of this is that, you know, like, obviously this is not an allegory for Trump, but it could be an allegory for Hitler or it could be an allegory for some despot in um, some Eastern European nation. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff is actually really interesting. Um, you know, I remember, uh, I remember when, um, Revenge of the Sith came out and there were like tons of people were like, this is about Bush. And, and, and it's like, and like, and like George Lucas is like, no, this is like, this is actually like World War Two. Yeah. You know? These are and, clearly fascists. Like, yeah. And, like, and, and, and it's like, yeah. And so it's like, like in, 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 in it's, it's like, yeah, the, like these things are, these situations and scenarios are cyclical in that it is a part of human nature so that you can almost count on at some point somewhere in our existence, you put us in certain situations, we're going to act out in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so, especially like when we're going to get into it in the next season, like a lot of this stuff um, that happens in new Caprica, obviously because it was happening around that time, a lot of it had to do with, um, you know, Iraq, but it's like you can also be like Vietnam, you know, right. you can also be like, you can also be like Korea. Like some of it was World War Two with France, the French resistance, which mm-hmm. like the imagery is directly there. Um, so it's like, I mean, that it's like that part. So like um, I remember on the, I think it was the first season of Doctor Who, there's a Chris Knopf who's. Chris Knopf, right? Is uh, that was Mister Big, whatever? Who's now canceled? Um, but he he was. You playing say the a, first season of Doctor Who, and you mean like the eighth I mean, season of I Doctor mean, Who? 
I mean, I am sorry. I meant the first season of uh, Jody Whitaker. Yeah. yeah, Jody Whitaker. And and um, he, yeah, you know, he clear comes on Trump he, allegory. He, yeah, it's like a clear Trump allegory. And I, I know someone that was like super triggered by that. And I was like, I was like, I mean, yeah, he probably is. But like, dude, he's also like Lex Luthor in like Superman comics from the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> like. And and like and there's the there's where the truth is in that. So I was like, don't get so hung up on that because you're like, you know, want to protect your little god king. But it's like, it's like, dude, like there is a truth behind this behavior that kind of happens in, in certain situations. And if this had come out, then you wouldn't have had that same trigger around mm-hmm. it. Um, right? Because so, like I'm rambling, I didn't babbling, but. I didn't have, I didn't even know to have that trigger back then. What I saw here was an ineffectual leader, which was right. easy for me to compare to the ineffectual leader we currently had. Yeah. It's just that now we've had so much worse <laughs> and so much closer to this personality type. And you know? for me, it's like, for me, it's like you, these are good lessons to, to use to keep your eye out for when those things present themselves in real life mm-hmm. so that you don't have to do this all over again yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. you don't have to walk around like i don't know what's gonna happen you know it's like well <laughs> like you you've had you you've seen enough things to have a good idea of yeah. what this person represents what path we're going down and you don't have to be approaching everything like even though literally it is happening for the first time ever, because everything is always happening for the first time ever, but things follow patterns. And so you, you can be like, Oh yeah, when this certain scenario is happening, we tend to react a certain way. So let's try to do something different, but this has all happened before. (laughs) (laughs) And it'll happen. And we always, yeah, and it always happened again. Right. So I don't know. This is, this is why I want to study history especially like societal history Mm -hmm. um because these patterns i mean i don't know why i would want to spend the money to study it when it's just going to depress me but um, (laughs) i'm so interested in it i feel like if i'm gonna go back to school i'm gonna study what i'm passionate about what i'm interested in um yeah so it's either either art history or this kind of history like societal history um mm-hmm. the the mistakes we keep making over and over again because we refuse to learn it's frustrating anyway uh let's get back to this um the galactica is empty adama is wandering the halls he has a very bushy mustache and uh he meets up with ty and tells him to go to the planet more than half the crew is on the planet already and ty just does not want to and Adam's just like, look, we don't even have enough pilots for a decent CAG. There's no need for you to be here anymore. Uh, I will man the lighthouse. And Ty's so sweet. I'll man it with you. He yeah. doesn't want to leave his buddy. And yeah. Adama's like, no, we, it's only, we only need one. So thank you for your service, Colonel. Tells him um, to take Ellen and go. And says, good luck and they hug then he tells Saul that if Ellen gives him too much trouble just find himself a younger one (laughs) and they laugh and yet spoilers 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, Adama, well, if you only happens. knew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like the little bit at the end when, uh, when after Ty leaves and he, Adama mm. picks up the cigarette and he rips the yeah. filter off and he smokes it. It's just such a, it, it, again, like there's all these little things that they do mm-hmm. um, as actors, as as actors, <laughs> and that's one of those little things that I just really appreciate. Like, yeah. I don't know what it means, but it's a, like, it's a tough tells guy. me something Doesn't about him. Doesn't need that filter. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also kind of, it's like informative too, because of yeah. like, even the mustache and stuff. It's like, obviously we something's different about this and i they had to they actually had to do a lot of work to make all of this stuff work because i I do remember like even watching this again now like i've watched so much tv i'm just used to like this being a dream right and so they had to do a lot of extra work to like tell you like no this is actually happening and we are like this has consequences so we're not gonna wake up uh, you know, we're not gonna wake up in a in a resurrection ship. And this, yeah, and this is all a fever dream. Like this is, and we're gonna be moving forward from this. So, um, yeah. So moving forward to New Caprica City, population thirty nine thousand one hundred and ninety two. Starbuck is looking for Anders. Her hair is very long. And she's. I had Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen. She's dressed like Colonial Viper pilot. From the original Battlestar. Okay. I just, every every time, it's so <laughs> iconic. I just was like, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, oh my God, finally. <laughs> uh, she finds Anders playing Pyramid and she yells at him that he's sick and he needs to get in bed. He says he'd rather work this out outside, not laying in a bed. And she, but she won't back down. She brings him to their tent. Everybody's living in tents. This is a fantastic settlement. Good job. Baltar. She's their their relationship seemed very much like a like the way she's talked to him. It's like a mother and her teenage yeah. son. <laughs> you know. Uh Doc Cottle assesses him and tells her that Sam likely has pneumonia, but he's been out of antibiotics for a while. He says that Sam is young and strong and with some luck he'll make it. So he leaves and she's sort of looking around, sort of desperate, and sees Ty and Ellen. And they are looking around just kind of like, what the fuck did we get ourselves what? into? This is not beautiful. Uh, it's very cold. Everybody is wearing like knitted hats and heavy coats and sweaters. Um, it's very yeah. gray. Um, <clears throat> and they head into a tent in time for this rousing union speech from Tyrrell, who's been elected their leader, their union leader. Starbuck follows them in there and greets Ty with a hug and tells him she's happy to see them. So it must really suck down there because she's super happy to see Ty. This, so like his, the speech, so I I watched this episode a billion times over Mm. the years, like, and, you know, read like the speech like stuck out for me and then i'm one day i'm listening to lincoln park's midnight madness i think album and i hear the speech <laughs> and i'm like what the what's happening this was real yeah and i guess i do yeah. i, was I like, do oh. have a um a bit of trivia that this speech is almost word for word 
quote of Mario Savio's address during the free speech movement at Berkeley in 1964. Yeah, I remember listening to the the song and I'm like, word for word, he's saying, why is he why is he quoting? (laughs) And then I, you know, I, I looked it up later and. So Ron Moore and but David Icke actually a... got permission from Savia's widow to use it, even though due to the way copyright laws work from back then, they could have just used it without permission. As a mm. result, it's listed in the credits as Mario Savio's speech excerpted courtesy of Lynn Hollander Savio. And Aaron Douglas actually studied film of Savio so that all of the hand gestures that Tyrrell makes when he gives a speech are gestures that Savio actually used. Yeah, he had had me like. I I I wanted to. I don't exactly understand what they what their issue is. We're not given a lot of context. Like we get this little bit from Gata at the beginning, and and Baltar saying that if they don't get to work, they'll be arrested. But we don't know what work they're being asked to do. I am assuming build settlements. Um, but yeah, he gives this rousing speech while he's doing this, um, you know, when Starbucks is like, oh, I'm so happy to see you guys. And Ellen's like, oh, it's really exciting. And Starbucks is like, yeah, that wears off. Yeah. <laughs> and then she asks if there's any, if they have any medicine or if there's any medicine on Galactica. And Ty is like, well, give Apollo a call. He's sitting on a bunch of medicine for the pilots. And she doesn't think Apollo will help her. And Ty's like, well, that was a long time ago. People change. So put a pin in that. And the union workers chant for a strike. We leave this tent. We go to another tent where Rosalind is teaching school. And her assistant teacher is Maya. I wrote hot for teacher's (laughs) assistant. (laughs) When Rosalind dismiss- dismisses the students, she tells Maya to take the baby and head home. So then we see that Hera is doing well, but her name is Isis now. There's a little bit where they talk about homework, and then the, this one girl gets excited about having to have homework. And I was like, she's definitely a collaborator, <laughs> and she possibly she possibly is related to Gaeta. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and just like really like a small note, I noticed this when I was watching it for the first time ever, but when Maya picks the baby up, there's the crib was white. Yep. And I was like, wait, wait a tick. And I didn't bother to go back and look, but I was pretty sure it was from. It is the um, same cradle. Yeah. The same exact yeah, cradle. There was yeah. a bit of trivia about that. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, the Cylon theme plays. Sixes theme. Oh, wow. I didn't even pick Plays that up. when she picks up cool. the baby. Or maybe it's maybe That's it's awesome. Boomer's theme. Maybe Boomer's theme. Um, <clears throat> so Starbuck goes to a raptor and calls a Pegasus. And we see Apollo wandering the halls like his dad was on Galactica, but where Adama's passage of time led to a mustache, Lee's <laughs> has led to jowls. <laughs> so I need to talk about this. <laughs> Fatly. Fatly is not we, as we, fat as he gets later. Right. He doesn't look which actually is he like, doesn't look so different here. Which is actually like saying something because it's like, dude, you got fatter after like the like like the whole thing went down. Like you didn't get your act together then. Yeah, but, they made uh, him a little a, he they put more in his cheeks later and more in his belly. 
so the like I so when this first came out, like I like I was watching on a little like computer monitor, and that's how I watched the show, right? And so, like I when I watched this episode, like I actually was like, wow, he gained weight for the role. That's amazing, and I was so because well, it's because it is like... it is subtle enough. Yeah, here. it's subtle, but like I, I couldn't see like, but like I remember my friend, he was watching on like a huge big screen TV, right? So he like did, he just had. So I remember like being like, oh, it was so great how he he gained weight. That's so dedicated, you know, because you know it's like a, you know, a raging bull, like mm-hmm. uh, De, De Niro, and I, that's what I thought it was. And he was like, no, dude, it's a it's a fat suit. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's more way more apparent next season, yeah, for sure. But uh, I could, I just, I never could, I couldn't, I couldn't see with enough detail to know that that's what was happening. <laughs> He's lost all the dimensions in his, like the definition in his face, mostly yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, he heads to the CIC and greets D, and she just hands him the phone, and he asks who it is, and she's like, "It's for you." And he's like, "Who is it?" And she says, "It's for you," and just walks away. Um, and he realizes then that it's Starbuck, so he asks her what she wants, and she explains that Sam is really sick and she needs some medicine, but she's cut off. Because Dean notices something on Dratus, and Apollo's like, Dratus? How can you see anything in that suit? And, like, a unknown, two unknown ships pop up and then disappear, and then they all start, boop, 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 and Dee's just like, oh my god, it's a whole fleet. The Cylons have found us. Oh, so scary. And we see the Cylon fleet as it jumps in. So he calls Adama, who wants to go to the planet to help. But Apollo is just like, we do not have the fighters. We do not have, we are not prepared. We need to jump away. And this sort of goes back and forth until um, Hilo's asking Adama what they what they should do if he should um, call for the alert fighters. And Adama says, no, start your jump prep. And, and then he says, we'll be back. We'll come back. And so the fleet which is only like nine ships or something like jumps mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. So Baltar is laying across these two women when Gaeta runs in calling for him. <laughs> he tells them that the silence have found them and that the fleet jumped away. And we hear the familiar sound of the raiders and Baltar looks out the window and head six behind him says that it's judgment day. So these raiders are flying overhead and everybody sort of comes out of their tents and is looking up at the sky when it happens. And then we see Leobin is still wearing the same clothes, the same clothes. <laughs> it's the only thing he has. It's the only outfit. We see his <laughs> sleeve of his shirt. And I was really nervous for Anders in this moment because Anders yeah. is sick and like blurry vision. And then here's this guy who's asking for Kara. And then... Yeah. Uh, we jump and see that she's watching the Cylon Raiders with Chief and Callie. But we don't go back to Anders. So, like, for an entire summer, I was like, oh, my God. We mm-hmm. didn't kill Anders. Mm-hmm. Out of jealousy? <laughs> From probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's, what else could it be, right? Yeah. 
he's this strapping young man. He like he's so much better than me in so many ways. Yeah. I'm just gonna kill him. I'll just kill yeah, him because he's weak what, right now. What, yeah, that's why what is thinking. I need to get to care. Like I was really nervous. Like, no, we just got him back. <laughs> oh man. Um, so Baltar sits on Colonial One with a bunch of people surrounding him. Who other than than Gaeta, I don't know who any of these people are. And a Doral, a Boomer, or a Boomer, a Doral, Boomer, and then Caprica Six come onto the ship. Caprica Six looks happy to see him. He says who he is, and she says she knows who he is. She knows him very well. And then he realizes which Six she is. Boomer tells them tells him that if he offers no resistance, they won't be harmed. Baltar asks how he knows that, and Doral's like, well, you don't, but you don't have a choice. So we see, like, Gaeta is not taking his eyes off of Baltar this whole time. And Baltar, like, looks to his left as if he's looking to see what Head Six is saying, but we don't see her. And then suddenly he's just like, well, how'd you find us? And Doral says, like, oh, it's by accident. Uh, We were over a light year away when we saw the radiation signature of a nuclear detonation. And then Baltar's crying again, and he realizes that this is all his fault, and he surrenders. And <clears throat> then we have the whole, you know, scene that the Cylons are now occupying New Caprica, and everybody watches as Centurions march through the streets. Uh, I noted that Rosalind's hair looks fantastic. I was shouting on my TV. <laughs> I was like, you were right, girl, you were right. Yep. <laughs> I almost was throwing stuff, like, back... Back in the day when we watched, when I was in college, we watched Melrose Place, we would like throw stuff at the TV sometimes when like Allison um, was like doing stuff to Billy that was foul. And, but I was, I was on the verge of throwing stuff at my TV, but just because I was just like, yeah, you were right. They didn't listen to you. <laughs> she looks, she's so defiant. And mm-hmm. It's just like, oh yeah. Um, I, that, I mean, I love that whole, I mean, that entire secret. They, like there's, the bits of it that kind of remind me of, I don't know if you've ever seen the the original Red Dawn. I can't, I can't refer to uh, the, I've seen the the remake, but I don't remember anything from it. Um, but obviously also that the Cylons marching down the street, like when I was watching and I was like, this is just like, this looks like you know, when France surrendered. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, apparently when I was listening to the commentary, that's where that was from. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, so Tyrrell then asks Starbuck what she wants to do, and she says the same thing they always do, fight until they can't. Oh, we've heard that before. And we have. So <laughs> I noted that, so the Cylons have a plan, right? But they abandon their plan because their, whatever right. their plan was, was, didn't work. Yes. But I know where you're going. <laughs> Six has been talking about God's plan. Yeah. And... At the end of this, everything that she's pushed Baltar to do has mm-hmm. led to this occupation. Mm-hmm. She told him to give Gina a warhead. She told him to run for president. Like, there's something to, like, whatever she is, she has pushed him in the direction to get to this point where here they are. On this planet, no sign of the Cylon f- for a year, and then all the conditions are right, 
for them to come in and take the rest of what's left of the human race. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's where I come in with the whole, like, uh, you know, spirit guides or angels or whatever. Um, and not from a sense of like angels, like benevolent, I am here to comfort you, but more of like, more of that, I more of this idea of like fifth dimensional being type things from like, uh, what's interstellar where it, the, just no kind of like, this is how the story unfolds. And that at some point I know this is going to happen. This is how they get it. And there's no morality behind it. It's just like that that's a piece that's going to be unfolding. And there's also there's also like a kind of a separate, not necessarily related to an in-universe thing, but I mean it's kind of related to it a little bit, but because there's 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 an element of like they turned away they turn away from god even though she's like it feels like she sets them up to suffer in this way but she's also kind of at least with baltar she's kind of adamant that they follow god and then he finally turns away right and there's a there's a uh again in the story of moses and the children of israel this whole concept of them finding the promised land um, but then the people turned away from God. So his version of that is to they suffer by having to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And I see like a direct like court is correlation. The word there, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but it's sort of like that idea of like, they turned away from what they were like the path that they were supposed to be going. So they're going to have to suffer now until they learn whatever lessons they learn to move on to the next part. And this is, the price that they're paying so this whole new caprica is a version of that and i only bring that up because literally i think i you know i mentioned before this this show the inception of it sort of was sort of like uh like space mormons and which is related to that idea of the children of israel the 12 tribes and they were trying them with the mormons they were trying to find this lost 13th tribe which was in ended up being in america how convenient mm-hmm. um so yeah um, it's complicated. I also don't think that they thought it all the way through. I go back to that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, you mentioned the French on the classroom chalkboard. Yeah. Um, French has appeared in the show before in the hand of God six uses the French word for momentum or surge. And in Pegasus, uh, Stinger uses the phrase esprit de corps. There are also Chinese ideograms in an episode of the Resistance webisodes, which more mm-hmm. on that later. Mm-hmm. It is later definitively established that more than one language is spoken in the colonies, with English being the equivalent to Capricorn. That's um, established on the show Caprica in the episode Blowback. Yeah. Ancient Greek being the equivalent to Toron. That was in the Caprica pilot. And Romanian being equivalent to Old Gemini's which is in Razor and Blowback. The official merchandise beyond Caprica, a visitor's pocket guide to the 12 colonies, establishes Leonese as equivalent to French. So it can therefore be presumed retroactively that Rosalind was teaching Leonese verbs to her students. 
that's a lot of supplemental information from things that aren't in the show. There's a little bit about that particular piece that you talked about with Rosalind and um, uh, teaching the kids. Mm-hmm. They, I think I read that because uh, at, at some point before this version of Battlestar Galactic was on, uh, Brian Singer, I kept like in my head, I keep wanting to say Ron DeSantis, but that's not his name. Tom DeSanto, I think. They they, they uh, did uh, the original X-Men movies. Mm-hmm. They were actually up to do a reboot of Oh yeah, bunch of Battlestar, and I there were rumors. I think that this that. this new Caprica story arc is somehow related to what their concept was. Well, uh, I'm glad that that also, never happened. Yeah, I also remember. Um, I had, I need to like look this up uh, on the internet. So I kind of meant to do it at some point, and I kind of forgot. But there was uh, in this in the time before any of this, even before that reboot was like being bandied about, um, uh, Richard Hatch was, had funded this whole like pilot trailer sizzle reel. And, um, I remember I actually saw him at Comic-Con and like, it was like 99, 2000. And he talked about it. And he, I remember him saying like his whole concept for the show, like his relaunch was like, was basically like, uh, there was a segment of people that had, they had found a planet and there was a segment of people that wanted to stop. And, um, I think it was like led by his sister on the show, Athena. And then, but like he wanted to keep like, as Apollo was like, no, we need to keep going. So they, that, that same struggle is there. Um, I just thought of that right now, um, but I need to actually find that uh, find that video somewhere. But yeah, it's, a, it's like the same exact same exact thing. His whole idea was like it just was the same as Rosalind's, which is like like well similar to Rosalind's, which is like you know if we stop we die. I remember him saying that if we stop we die. So that's the motivation to keep going, whether or not this particular planet looks like it's you know suitable to stop. Mm-hmm. Ron Moore said that he had been interested in the concept of doing a time jump for quite a while when he was working on Carnival. He was interested in jumping back and doing a whole season that was set completely in the past and then jumping forward again. So um, when they were talking about the specifics of Lay Down Your Burdens Part 2, he knew that the time jump would be a way of giving the decision to go down to New Caprica meaning. He figured it would allow us to see what it was, what it would be like if they had settled down and had Baltar as president in a way that didn't change the show so much that it effectively became a different series. If we had just followed that year on New Caprica, it would have taken the Cylons and the quest for Earth out of the show for a year. And the show wouldn't have been Battlestar Galactica. I think they did just the right mm-hmm. amount. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the closing moments of Lay Down Your Burdens, part two, we see Chief... Oh, I already talked about this. That this David Icke said the speech that Chief gave was really special to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right that the sequence with the Centurions invading New Caprica was scripted to resemble Nazis marching into Paris in 1940. But it was a major challenge for the visual de- effects department. Yeah, I think that's the first time we really like 
I mean, we've seen other sequences where Cylons were around, but I don't like never like this. On, yeah, yeah, never. It was like on a scale, which is like was important for like thematically for the show, also in the direction the show was going. Um, and it kind of tied to that that whole speech that uh, Cavill gives about, um, you know, uh, I like I like in that speech that he talks about how like they were wrong, um, we made mistakes mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And they were sort of like reevaluating um, their path from here, which is like that's what the Cylons are doing, but that's also what the show is doing. And then we see at the very end, like this whole like the like I think I talked about this the last episode, where like the the Cylons move from being like this mysterious nether creatures from unseen in the dark to like bolded in your face, and it's just it's both are terrifying it's just a, it's a different level of terrifying when you see like when uh they when starbuck and tyrol and callie like pop their heads out of the tent and you see all the ships flying it's like we've like like we they haven't like seen any of that before you know and when i was even watching like the background players when the Cylons are marching down the street or that they're just kind of scrambling, like the humans are kind of scrambling what to do. Like none of them have been that close to the Cylons. And so like they were in some levels, they were like an existential threat before, which is that has a, has a certain level of terror. And now it's like, you have like this overwhelming force right in your face. Yeah. And it's just like terror on a different a different level yeah the last piece of trivia i have is that this is the first episode in which all five final five cylons appear in one way or another yeah i saw that too it's actually funny because it's like yes but that wasn't like a plan either <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's cool it's cool nonetheless yeah all right we have established that baltar was indeed the worst this week oh my god like in so many ways, <laughs> <laughs> but who gets first? Who gets full colors? Um, I thought Kilm. I kind of think I thought Kilm. I don't know. I like maybe Starbuck. I guess I don't know. I said Adama. He stopped Rosalind mm. from stealing an election. Yeah, that's like complicated for me, actually. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's like I on a on a character like. When I not not like character like Adama as a character, but like your character, um, yes, like him standing up for the right thing yeah. in the face of you know they could have done the other thing speaks volumes about him. But also, like, <laughs> I couldn't help but be like, yeah, you're kind of like leading, like allow, like you're kind of allowing all of these people that eventually we know are going to not make it not make it and yeah but he didn't necessarily, know that. yeah it's not necessarily on him i'm not saying it's like on him but it's just hard for me to disconnect that you know mm-hmm. yeah. who would you throw out the airlock there's so many people <laughs> ellen tide no, i'm just kidding uh for once no, i she's not on my list yeah, she actually is like very like redeemable yeah. in multiple multiple instances in this. Um, but I, I mean, like to me, 
I mean, I guess Gina actually, because um, like she kills the most people in this episode. I said Baltar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I just like I I wanted you know obviously I want to say Baltar, but I mean like yeah, like she. Yeah. So... I remember watching it and being like, "Go oh, Cloud Nine. <laughs> <laughs> and I think one of the, like that I think one of the ships that blows up is this. So when I was a kid watching Battlestar Galactica, I used to always draw a picture of like Battlestar Galactica and the fleet. And there was this one particular ship that's like super random. It has all these like um like circular things on top of it. And I think that was one of them that blew up. And I remember watching, oh, that's my shit. <laughs> <laughs> I used to draw all the time. <laughs> it just was like, oh, man. So you're saying that Gina is not your favorite Cylon this week. Uh, she, I mean, she never, I think, you know, after, like, after, like, walk, going through this, when I first watched the show, I had a lot of sympathy for her, obviously. Um, but then knowing, like, what happens here, like, I stopped. You know, whenever I watch it, I'm just like, yeah, like, that's, like, she killed a lot of, like, <laughs> she's, like, killed a lot of people. And it's like, why? You know? Like. Yeah. Well, she also didn't know that the Silence were going to come and do what they did, so. Not a fan. Not yeah. a fan. Not a fan. Uh, I just said Caprica 6 because I like Caprica 6, and also she just seems so competent she killed even more people Mm -hmm. she definitely did yeah do we have any new reviews this week we do not have any new reviews okay well i guess i'll go cry yeah i mean like lost we lost so many people (laughs) and now this (laughs) (laughs) now we're stuck on this fracking planet (laughs) Yes, please, please review New Caprica for us. Yeah, it's gonna be some good it's rocky, stuff. Rocky, it's very gray. Yeah. Uh, well, if you want to send us messages, you can do so on Twitter at GalactuallyPod, on Instagram at GalacticaActually, or you can send us an email at GalacticaActuallyPodcast at gmail dot com. Where can people reach out to you? You can find me on Instagram at the Armageddon. You can also find me on TikTok at the Armageddon. I just post pictures of sunsets and sunrises over there. But if you want to check that out, <laughs> you can you can check that out. Um, and uh, First Noel Chronicles is on Instagram. Uh, my website, First Noel Chronicles, where I do reading of my fantasy novel. And uh, I started a uh, sort of like mini podcast for reviews called uh, Another Review You Didn't Ask For. Um, coming up soon, I'll be doing um, The Marbles. Uh, I, by the time by the time this drops, I'll probably have that up. Um, and I'm endeavoring to do video blogs of it too, although that's like extra work that I don't know if I can get done in time. Um but that is where you can oh podcasting after dark. We just did a really fun episode about uh uh Canadian kid shows. That was really fun. Um I saw it in the graphic it showed you can't do that on television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> when I was a kid, my grandfather would not let me watch that show because he said he didn't want me to think it was okay for kids to act that stupid. 
<laughs> he didn't want me to ever act that way. <laughs> it's actually funny because when we were we were watching it, we were discussing it. We were actually like, I mean, it actually is pretty like raunchy is not the word, but like it's like you actually can't do that on television. <laughs> like, like even more so today yeah, we've, than we've like gone some backwards of it for sure. Yeah. And it's not like in a non, it's like not non PC or anything, but there's just like, it's like, these are kids doing some stuff. There's like this, the whole, uh, there's like a whole firing squad bit, but I just don't know. <laughs> that was like a running gag that I just don't know would, you know, like yeah. be on TV today. I actually, again, I'll go back to TikTok real quick. Somebody made this really funny version. They were like, what happened to like Disney movies? They showed, um. And I forgot to bring this. I think I brought this up last week, but like you know, uh, Baltar's administration reminds me a lot about Scar from <laughs> Scar's uh, little stint as a leader of the Pride Lands in The Lion King. Uh-huh. Um, but they they had this whole the whole sequence of uh, Scar singing his song "Be Prepared," and there's like hellfire coming out of the ground and stuff. And then they fast forwarded to some Disney movie. I don't even know what it was, and the villains like. Singing a happy song, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's just like it's like the the vibe is completely different. Yeah, like it's probably written by Lin Manuel. So, well, anyways, I it's I just, think uh, that uh, the internet has given people too many voices, and uh, their complaints get to the executives a lot faster mm-hmm. now than they used to, and so mm-hmm. everything has to be sanitized yes. and. You know, along a very straight line. Otherwise, a bunch of lunatics are gonna start screaming about wokeness and whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, anyway. Um, if you want to message me on my Instagram, it is oh hey Jamie with underscores between uh, oh hey and hey Jamie, and you can listen to my past work on the Unspoiled Network where I covered several different shows. Uh, I'm just going to recommend Band of Brothers this time because it's Veterans Day. So, good call. Band of Brothers, uh, which I may go see if uh, we sh- should resume our rewatch because I had never finished it. Um, I usually do one once a year. So, next week, we are we're going to take a little hiatus for a couple of weeks. Um, my birthday possibly we might have a little mini episode on uh, the weekend of thanksgiving we may record that if we can fit it in uh where we will be talking about the resistance um little episodes that they did i think they're canon but not canon i've never seen them so obviously it didn't like impact my understanding of season three in any way but it's just supplemental like something fun to just talk about and then we will resume with season three the weekend after la comic-con because diallo is going to be at that convention yeah i forgot to mention i'll be screening uh doing a screening of angel in the dark so if you happen to come to comic-con it's going to be happening uh december 2nd at 11 a.m in room i think it's 410 um so that too are you doing any panels um, yeah, actually, it's kind of a little chaotic because I'll be doing a panel right after that. Um, so I'm going to have to, like, run down the hall and not really get to talk to anybody. But uh, I'll be doing a panel on 80s kids shows, I think, is the topic. Oh, so, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So a little, it, little thing about, thing or two about those. So. 
if you live in LA or you're planning on being at LA Comic Con from out of town, go check out Diallo's work and his panel. Yes, ma'am. Um, do you have any other last thoughts before we wrap? No, I just, you know, I was thinking a little bit earlier how I'm actually, and I probably said this before, I'm actually really glad that I'm holding myself to doing one episode a week because I've rewatched the show a number of times since it originally aired, but almost every time I watch them in batches, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like I might like three or four episodes, whatever, in a row. But doing it this way has actually recreated, uh, synthesized the recreation of the experience I actually had when I originally watched it, which is part of the experience of Battlestar Galactica the first time was the, like, you watched it that one week and then, like, you're talking with your friends, you're speculating, what does this mean, what does that mean? And especially after this episode, when you, like, you see that final sequence, I love the sequence when, what do we do, Captain? You know, mm-hmm. same thing we always do. I love that, like, that whole, that whole thing. And then- Take over the world. Entire, yeah, right, yeah. But that whole, like, time in between season two and season three- like, just like your your brain, like what's happening? And this is like message boards and stuff existed at that point. Yeah. Um. But it's like it's nowhere. Like the internet is nowhere near the you know mess it is now. So it still was sort of like you know if you chose to not engage with that part, it was very uh, analog life, right? And so. It was just about, like, you could speculate with your friends and stuff, but you didn't, it wasn't like the spoiler stuff, and you're just like, you're, you're like, in this this direction that they went in was so mind-blowing, and I get to experience that now mm-hmm. <laughs> by just waiting a week, you know? Yeah. Um, when I, like, I hadn't really done before, and it, like, it's giving me sort of, like, the similar, like, chills and excitement that I used to have. Yeah. Um, outside of watching the show like in the in the show i had the same level of excitement but now i'm realizing how excited i am in the week in the weeks between it's like oh god i can't what i mean i know what's gonna happen but then i'm like oh man i can't wait you know yeah um so again especially between season two and three i remember having that obviously between three and four because mine completely blown Mm -hmm. but yeah so and then and that's um in between seasons two and three is when I have my uh, Starbucks Katie Sackhoff's tour. <laughs> oh, so we'll get it during the Resistance um, yeah, episode. I'll, I'll probably, yeah, I'll probably drop it in the. I'll probably drop it in the Resistance episode. It was. It was very. Uh, it was a part of my speculation. Okay. For, I part of my speculation for season three. I met her under these very particular circumstances. I was completely wrong about the direction they were going to take, but how I met her we'll uh, made me think. Save it. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying, yeah, I'm just saying How I Met Her has made me think this show was going somewhere, and I it didn't, but. <laughs> I have a, um, I sure, have the a story similar is, the story. The story isn't great either. Yeah. I have a similar story, but it's not, uh, I didn't meet anybody, but I'll talk about that too before we, before we talk about the first episode of season three. Okay. Awesome. So, until we return to discuss the minisodes. What do you hear? Cylons flying overhead. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, yeah, I <laughs> know. Uh, nothing but the rain. 
Bye. See ya. listening to the Geekscape Network.